0: And welcome to Not Your Mother's Library. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. And we are librarians at Oak Creek Public Library. Today we have a special guest with us, Sarah, who is our Access Services Manager here at OCPL. We're going to be discussing LGBTQ fiction today.
1: Welcome to the podcast, Sarah.
0: Hi, thanks for having me. We're
1: so happy to have you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So before we get started, we just want to talk about what you do here at the library. Give us a little bit of background, what you enjoy reading, anything like that.
2: Sure. So I, uh, as Rachel mentioned, am the access services manager. So I am the person who is in charge of the folks who check books in and out, uh, the people who put books on the shelves. Um, we make sure the library is nice and tidy. Um, and yeah, I've worked in libraries for uh, about fourteen years in different capacities.
1: And I was going to say you've been here at the Oak Creek Library doing other jobs. For, yes. <laughs> for a while too. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. You've been in- Young adult services, mm-hmm. reference. Yes. Okay.
2: And I still do a little reference now. I wear many hats, yeah. many caps. Uh huh. Um, yeah, and so I've done a little bit of everything. And I started as a shelve,r so I'm kind of back to my roots now. Oh,
1: okay. Working
2: in circulation. Nice. So. I cool.
0: yeah.
1: did similarly, actually. Yes, As you
2: know, it all comes full circle <laughs> yes. eventually. Right. Yes.
1: So, um, what is your reading history? What do you like to read?
2: Sure. I'm. I am an admitted terrible reader as far as it takes me a really long time to read oh, right. i it's kind of embarrassing <laughs> as a librarian when someone's like you must read all the time and no i actually that's such don't a
1: stigma, isn't it, it is it's yeah. a
2: stereotype that's mm-hmm. true um, i read know, I yeah feel
1: like my reading has gotten a little bit slower too in the past few years mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i i i'm there with you <laughs>
2: yeah netflix doesn't help i watch a lot of tv <laughs> unfortunately yeah. um and but i do try to read like a book a month I yeah. try to make sure I'm I've got something on my nightstand, usually multiple things, and I try to just plow through and read a book a month. So okay. I feel like I'm doing all right if I do that. And I read everything. I read historical fiction, um, graphic novels, websites, blogs, etc. So oh, yeah, just just about anything. Magazines.
1: What's your What's your um, go to genre if you want like an easy, enjoyable read?
2: It's usually just like realistic adult fiction. Okay. I think I get into that the most. Nice. When I was a young adult librarian, I tried to do YA, and I'm just not. I can do it if it's really well-written, but otherwise, I'm just not a, a YA devotee. But that's OK. I'm happy for those who are. I'm glad we have the books for them, but just not me.
1: Right. Um, and then, oh yeah, so our theme for today is LGBTQ. So yes. Did you want to just share a little bit about your sure. background?
2: Sure. Yeah, that's very personal to me. I identify as queer. I think it's really important as a professional and just being uh, human in the world to be out. I think it's very important for other people to see that, though I do understand that everybody can be out. It's not safe for everybody to be, mm-hmm. so I respect that completely, too. But it was exciting to know, headed into June, it's usually Pride Month, and so, uh, I do my one of my go-to genres definitely is LGBTQ okay, fiction. Um, I've yeah. been consuming a lot of that lately, so I'm excited to get to chat about it. Do you it.
1: feel like there has been more um, fiction in that genre that's been coming out in the recent years? That's yes, better quality.
2: Yes, definitely. Okay. Yeah, there's a huge range of it now. Um, so just about any type of thing you read, you can find LGBTQ stuff. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's a lot more historical. Just history coming out, historical fiction, YA. Yeah, there's a lot more out there.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I'd say that's true of a lot of genres Mm -hmm. uh, based on those kind of subcultures, I suppose. Like women's fiction used to just be about housewives, but it's Mm -hmm. in every single genre now. Right. There's so many different aspects to draw on. Yeah. Same for people of color and things like that.
2: Right. I'm not a big sci-fi reader, Mm -hmm. and I'm not a big romance reader, so I don't know as far as even more specific subgenres how that mm-hmm. looks though there is a very interesting trend and this is probably a topic for another day of non-queer women writing gay male romance oh, books okay. yes exactly i and i haven't been able to dig into it too much but i'm like this is a very interesting trend fan fiction yeah, published books yeah. very interesting so again that is. I don't know if we have time today, but <laughs> yeah. it is something to be like, okay, yeah. just cross
1: cultural. Yeah.
2: Correct, yeah, it's very yeah, interesting. Huh. It is. Anywho.
1: Yeah, <laughs> all right, well, we're very excited to have you. Thank so you, yes. Um, so I'm going to start off by talking about um, a young adult book, uh, coincidentally. <laughs> sure. Um, it's called Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe by, oh man, I was going to practice. Announcing his name beforehand and I forgot. Um, Benjamin Alire Sainz. Yeah, that's pretty
2: close. Sands?
1: He's, I think he has a Mexican American heritage. So. I think so. Sarah will fix it for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I actually read this book um, when I was in grad school for library science. Um, I took a young adult genre fiction course and this was one of them. I would say if you're interested in diving into LGBTQ in the YA field, this is a really good um, book to jump into. So the premise, um, it's a coming of age story about um, a teenage boy. His name is Aristotle. I think I think he's called Ari um, by his friends. Which seems very YA for the characters to have really bizarre names. It yes, does. yeah. <laughs> it's very John. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, So, he's a Mexican-American boy, he's, um, I think, 15 or 16, and kind of figuring out his his own life and himself and what he believes. Um, There's some, he's not abused, but there is some tension in his household. His dad is a Vietnam vet and he has a lot of trauma and personal battles that kind of hinder him from having this as strong of a relationship as he wants Mm -hmm. with his son, and then, um, Ari meets another young man whose name is Dante, who also has a Mexican-American heritage. And Dante is a lot more um, comfortable uh, embracing that he thinks he is gay. Um, And that kind of comes through within the story. This is not a uh, plot-driven book. So if you like plot (laughs) and you don't have the patience, (laughs) don't read this. Um, This is very much um, kind of a relaxed read. The the events are not the big part of the story. There are these like bigger, more existential questions that are being asked. Um, So questions about love and mortality and identity. Um, And this is a very introspective read. Um, and it kind of reads a little bit monotone, so I listen to the audiobook, um, mm-hmm. and Lynn Manuel Miranda happens to read it. Oh. Yes,
2: yeah, that's awesome.
1: <laughs> Even yeah. so, though, hmm. the the story is very monotone. Hmm. So there's not a a whole lot of ups and downs. It's because of the way that the character thinks and um, the way the story is written. It it kind of has the same level of intensity, mostly throughout the whole story. Hmm. Is it very dialogue-heavy, or is it more like internal thought? It is dialogue-heavy, but there's always internal thought part of it. Um, And I also listen to this at, instead of one... Speed, 1.25 Yes. That's <laughs> a little trick. It, I don't yeah. know if
2: you've talked about that yet, but overdrive is great for that, for the yeah. so getting if, through them faster. Yeah. yeah.
1: So if anyone has done that, so hearing Lynn manuel Miranda read like this <laughs> <laughs> also plays a role. Yes. Um. And the, also the funny thing is, if anyone, any of our listeners know about Lynn manuel Miranda, you probably know him from Hamilton. His... Um, Broadway show about mm-hmm. Alexander Hamilton of course yes um and the funny thing is I so I reread this for this discussion we're having and I didn't catch this the first time because Hamilton wasn't a thing but there are references to Alexander Hamilton um Ari is studying him in high school and master ah. has to, has to a report and that manuel Miranda has to say like oh that stupid Hamilton. Ah. <laughs> oh, I have to write this stupid report. I hate this man.
2: That is <laughs> like, so funny. Yeah.
1: yeah. So it's, it's very fun. Um, so my read likes, likes um, So there's a sequel to this book that is supposed to be coming out in this year, but I'm guessing maybe 2020. Um, hmm. The title used to be There Will Be Other Summers, but he posted on his Twitter that that's not the title anymore. Oh. And it was very vague.
2: Hmm. Okay. <laughs> and, then, and
1: then he posted something like, this won't be coming out this year. You know, life has a way of changing. Mm-hmm. For sure. Also very vague. Mm-hmm. So I think it's in the works. It's just not out yet. Gotcha. Um, a little glimmer of hope, maybe, at the end of the time. Right. And I think it follows at the end of this story, immediately after. Hmm. So I think you learn more about them. Um, and then there's another book by the same author called The Inexplicable Logic of My Life. Um, And this is more about love and friendship. It's not necessarily a romance. Um, It's about Sal or Saul, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, is the main character and he has an adoptive gay father and he grows up in a a Mexican-American family. Hmm. So I think that's kind of a similar theme with Mm -hmm. this author. Uh, But this story focuses more on friendship kind of love rather than romantic love. Hmm. Um, And it's very poetic and again, a coming of age story. Um, Yeah. So that's my, my read.
2: And the friendship love, is it between two boys?
1: It's between a boy and a girl.
2: Oh, that's very interesting. Sure. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really neat that um, you brought this book up too, because it, it's cross-cultural. So not only are you learning about Teenagers who are Mexican-American, which aren't always the topic of YA books, right. but also a Mexican-American gay boy. That's like,
1: yeah. you know,
2: that's very interesting to have yeah. those identities kind of blend. So that's right. a great suggestion.
1: And he also, I think he has questions that any, any teenager growing up will mm-hmm. have. Who am I? How do I, you know, fit in this world? Who are my friends? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, what's my relationship with my family? Those are all, I think, universal mm-hmm. um, themes that everyone deals with. Definitely. It's true, yeah. too. You
0: don't tend to just identify by your sexu- sexual orientation or gender identity. You also are, you know, a part of this country, and this mm-hmm. is your heritage, and these are the people that you're used to in your life, and there's so many factors going into it to make you human. It's mm-hmm. not just one thing or the other. Mm-hmm. It's always going to bleed across.
1: Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. All right, so um, what have you been
0: reading, Rachel? Uh, well, I happened to cross-author Sarah Waters and her novel The Paying Guest last year and finished it in January. Sarah, our guest today, not the author. <laughs> uh, she and I already emailed each other a bit about this title when I was making the library's LGBTQ plus book list earlier in the year, and I think we both kind of went gaga over the writing style and Definitely. this beautiful story. Huh. Yeah, it's about how even though throughout history people have been subjugated based on gender, social class, and sexual orientation, there is still some hope for them to find happiness, be it with themselves or with other people.
2: Yeah, that's a nice summary of it. Yeah. And anything Sarah Waters has ever written. I'm so... Excited for her to write something new. I know. Like I'm like, come on. I don't know if she's on Twitter, I don't know if she's anywhere else, but
0: she's one of those authors where you just kind of trust that it's gonna be a bomber of a book. Yes. Bomber definitely. as not like the bomb, as yeah. the kids say. <laughs> right? I kids exactly. still say that. I'm from the nineties. Okay, <laughs> I, it's very I, obvious. I think even
1: lit is old now. <laughs> really? <Probably? laughs> yes. What about on
0: fleek? Anyway, we could go <laughs> on. <laughs> Uh, so, The Paying Guest is historical fiction mixed a little bit with thriller and crime. It's about a young woman, Frances, and her life in England right after World War I. Her brothers were killed during the war, and her father died shortly after, so Frances and her mother now live on their own and are struggling to make ends meet. Uh, they were once used to having hired help around the house to do all the chores and stuff, at least the heavier things, um, but they can't afford to sustain their old lifestyle anymore. They eventually, and almost ashamedly, have to take on borders to bring in some money, and we are then introduced to the characters Leonard and Lillian Barber. So before their arrival, Frances, her life has been pretty stagnant. Back mm-hmm. during the war, she was actually a bit of a political radical. Um, she used to Let's see, she's to attend protests alongside a close female friend with whom she felt a romantic attachment, mm-hmm. but we get the sense that things ended badly between mm-hmm. them, so she's become a lot more reclusive since. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think her brother's deaths and her father's attitude toward her played into that too. Mm-hmm. Um, Frances and her mother find it difficult to acclimate to the barber's presence in their house, mainly because they are what's considered working class. As in, one of them has an office job. Oh surprise, surprise. <laughs> uh, Frances soon develops a crush on Lillian, though. And she's hesitant to be open about her feelings for obvious reasons. Um, Lillian's husband also complicates things. He is a bully, and I dislike him a lot. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. really want Frances to just end up happy and feeling loved by someone that she trusts. Uh, But there's a murder involved, so things take a definite turn for the worse. And
2: that's a Sarah Waters hallmark. Yeah. The twist, the murder, the time period actually is very interesting. It's a lot later than a lot of her other books. Mm. I also as a younger person never was like into Dickens or that era just seemed really gross. I never read the Brontes or whatever. Mm-hmm. to I know. <laughs> I know. But Sarah Waters writes like most of her stuff I want to say is like 1890s, 1880s-ish era. Okay. And it's just so evocative. And it, it all of her stories that I've read focus around lesbian women um, or what I don't think they would be called lesbian back then. But you know, whatever the, mm-hmm. the idea of that is now, um, is what we can kind of place on them then. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's good stuff. Oh, for sure. Real good yeah. and real big. So you got to be <laughs> yes. in for the long it haul. It is a long <laughs> book. Yeah.
1: Can I ask, are there, um, male characters that do have redeeming qualities?
2: Yes. So in some of her other books, they play typically supporting roles. You know, okay. the main characters yeah. mm-hmm. revolve around the female relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's Pangus, complicated, yeah. I guess. Yeah,
0: I think the good guys in the Pain were Francis's brothers, but we don't really meet them because they've passed on. But she was yeah. very close with them. They're very
2: the idolized. Yes, because they that. aren't alive mm-hmm. either, oh, and they okay. also were war heroes because yeah. they died in the war. But mm-hmm.
0: yeah, and they got up and fought while well, she had to stay at home. You mm-hmm. know, and she wanted to participate. Yeah. yeah. But like
2: her other books revolve around a women's prison, so primarily that's female. Even the jailers were women, mm-hmm. um, grifters. It's very gritty. It's very dirty feeling as far as like like dirt, <laughs> not like naughty. I mean, it can be a little naughty sometimes, but you know. But yeah, her writing style is just phenomenal. I'm very excited for a new Sarah Waters book. Yeah.
0: And in this book, I really like the fact that Frances is so accepting of herself. Mm -hmm. It's refreshing, especially given the time period, but I think it shows how important it is to be confident in yourself, even if those around you are in denial of who you are. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is a slight hiccup with this, though, because even though Frances is empowered as a female and to a certain degree as a lesbian, um, she does look down her nose at the barbers when she first meets them, and I don't know if this had to do with her mother's influence, but the class divide there is really mm-hmm. obvious. Yeah. Um, still that's also something I like about The Paying Guests. Highlighting the fact that we all have blind spots, right. that we're imperfect and judgmental, makes the characters realistic. And I recommend this book based on that believability. Yeah. And I'm
2: not in touch enough with the history of the time and especially England's history at the mm-hmm. time, but being post-World War I, that I don't know what was happening with the classes. If there was a big shift I mean, if all of the men who were bringing in the income, a large portion of them had passed away, I don't know how common of a story this must have been, that people had to open up their homes. They were living a genteel life and are now downgrading. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of tension, not just the female relationships, but in life. Yeah. They're really well written.
1: From my expertise from Downton Abbey. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Um, I think that is definitely a, a big factor. Those class divides are still very strong, mm-hmm. and the adjustment to having to, for the higher classes, um, you know, quote-unquote, um, lower themselves mm-hmm. to those other classes was difficult. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But I do, I, I really like your point, Rachel, that we all have room to grow somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No one is all welcoming to everything. We mm-hmm. all have judgments that we make, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, I do like that. I think it makes it more oh, realistic. Oh, well, thank
0: you.
2: <laughs> and she makes you never want to live in these time periods oh yeah. like the work that they have to do in the house is nasty yeah. i would never ever want ever she does want it all to day do it. long yeah it's a never-ending it's exhausting there's like you know no creature comforts they didn't have air conditioning right. they didn't have you know the heating was complicated so owning yeah, no. a
0: manor sounds nice but it is not <laughs> <laughs> yeah no. <laughs> the heating bills alone. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, for a read-alike, I would say go with Lovers at the Chameleon Club, Paris 1932 by Francine Prose. This is also LGBTQ historical fiction. The Chameleon Club is a fictional French cabaret full of bohemians, so I'm instantly hooked. Right? A- yeah. <laughs> uh, the story is actually inspired by a famous photograph called the Lesbian Couple at the Monocle. Print editions of both The Pain Guests and Lovers at the Chameleon Club, Paris 1932, <laughs> are currently part of our physical collection at OCPL. Ebook and audiobook versions are available through Libby and Hoopla, as per usual. Nice.
1: Yeah. So, what have you been
2: reading, Sarah? So, I fairly recently read something called The House of Impossible Beauties by Joseph Cassara. I believe that's how you pronounce his last name. Um, and we're jumping forward another historical fiction book. This one, though, takes place in the 1980s. It's uh, in New York City, and I don't know if either of you have ever watched the uh, documentary called Paris is Burning, if you've ever heard of that. It's a really famous documentary. You can get it on Netflix, and I think you can get it through the library system. I believe I looked that up. Um, And it was recorded in probably the late 80s, right before... Yeah, that sounds about right, like mid to late 80s. And it follows these groups of drag queens in New York City, most of which are of color. I believe most of them are either Puerto Rican or black. And it just shows what their lives are like. It's like cinema verite, so it's just the people in the documentary who are talking. It's not, like, narrated or anything. Um, but what's interesting about this book, The House of Impossible Beauties, is that, you know, that documentary was only, like, an hour long, an hour and a half long, something this book took those actual people from the documentary they're very specific real people and he sort of invented lives for them so you get to know them as children you get to know them um in different aspects of their lives that the movie doesn't portray but he's using real names he's using uh real scenarios which is very it's just very interesting to take that kind of creative license too as an author And so it's, the reason it's called the House of Impossible Beauties is because the drag queen scene of the 80s, and I, I honestly don't know if this is still the case, um, in New York City, this is where voguing came from. Yeah. So Madonna, you know, popularized vogue yeah. for the mainstream. Mm-hmm. It was drag black drag queens oh, that were doing it way before <laughs> um, yeah. anybody else. And they had these houses. Which you can, the way they described it was sort of like a gang. So basically, you're kicked out of your home, you have no more support or family, and you have to make your own family. And so they created these houses where instead of fighting each other in the streets, they were voguing and dancing and like having these <laughs> sort of dance-offs in these balls. So that's that what it follows is the ball culture. Amazing. It's amazing. It's I've watched the documentary probably three times because it's just so fascinating. It's so heartbreaking that people have to go through the trials and tribulations that they go through just to exist, but that they were able to find each other is really lovely. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's still, you know, it's not all roses. They definitely, there's a lot of like street sex work, unfortunately, to support themselves. And, you know, it's a difficult life. There's no sugarcoating that at all. But the beauty of this book is that it really kind of like develops these characters in ways that you wish you could have gotten to know them watching the documentary. Again, looking at some of their childhoods, and it's just very interesting. And so this follows the House of Extravaganza. I believe that's true. Um, And each of them have different names uh, that the house is under. So Angie Extravaganza has all of her children, they're called. And so like one of the characters is Venus Extravaganza. And it's just this very elaborate, amazing story. It's really good. Some of the criticism I have heard about it is that he, Joseph, the author, Delved too much into the actual like imagined lives for them, and not enough into the ball culture, mm. which is what the whole point of this was about were these balls that these people would go to. Okay. So it's some people have criticized that he didn't do enough of his homework to make the ball scenes in the book authentic. Oh. I mean, they're there. if you I recommend watching the documentary and then reading the book okay. because then you have an image of these actual right. people in your yeah, head. And so he was a little slim. I think he could have cut maybe like, you know, 10% of the story out to include a little more of the ball culture because that's the whole point of the book. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's real good.
1: That's a Definitely really recommend it. Interesting concept taking fan fiction, you could say, to yeah. a whole new level. Yeah. Sure. But it's based on real people. Yes. Which is even more fascinating. A whole yes. other layer, yeah.
2: yeah. Most of which I also assume have passed away. And so that's complicated as well yeah. because they can't speak. Yeah to the reality of the story, um, and I don't know this, I'm just presuming, but it didn't seem like these people probably had much of an estate, so it's not like somebody sure. is carrying on their yeah. their permissions. But
0: it is classified as fiction,
2: right? It is, it is shelved, yep, classified as fiction, and yeah. I would definitely call it historical fiction because he gets a lot of like, you know, I was just a kid in the 80s, but what I recall from the 80s, you know, the, the vibe is there, and he's very... Um, careful to make sure he's using, it's a lot of Spanglish, I guess you would say. So it's like, you know, seamlessly Spanish and English are interwoven. And it's a really great book, though. I mean, it just the the feeling when it ended was like, oh, this is so sad. I want it to keep going. <laughs> That's but, the
0: best problem to have with a book. Yes,
2: that is nice. very true. Yes. Yeah. And so I'm currently reading um, a book that I would say is a read-alike called Sketch to See. Uh, and it is by Matilda Bernstein Sycamore. And it's also historical fiction, but it takes place in probably about a decade later in Boston, um, also in gay culture, but it's the club culture, and it's also a different era of the AIDS crisis. So that plays a big part in The House of Impossible Beauties, is okay. this is sort mm-hmm. of at the beginning of when AIDS is starting to be recognized, whereas the other book Sketch to See, AIDS has been around a little bit longer, and so you're looking at the way the characters are interacting with Um, AIDS and how it's affecting their communities a little differently so but they're a good so I say watch the movie watch Paris is Burning Mm -hmm. read the House of Impossible Beauties and then read Sketch to see sort of in that order to get like a flow. pretty rare
0: where you get a recommendation to read the book second. Yes yes
2: but I do think it's really important in this case because you do get to know the people who they are before you're reading the author's interpretation of Mm -hmm. them so
1: yeah
2: yeah. good stuff though
1: so you also gave us some other uh, recommendations. Yes. want
2: to just touch on those. Sure. Ones. Yeah, so I just have a few favorites that I mentioned. Um, Leslie Feinberg uh, was a very important person in the LGBTQ advocacy community. Um, they were an author uh, that wrote a really impactful book called Stone Butch Blues that sort of like, frankly, if you take any kind of gender studies class in college, I'm assuming you're going to read that, um, followed up by Drag King Dreams, and it just is a really interesting working class um, look at queer life in like the 50s through the 90s. Mm-hmm. Sort of spans a long era. Um, also, Fun Home. Both Rachel and I have talked I about love this before. It's a
0: graphic novel. Yes, it's
2: a graphic novel. It was yeah. turned into a um, Broadway musical that won the Tony Award. Ah. So big stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Allison you know Bechtel.
1: How recently?
2: Three or four years ago. Okay. I want to say it was like 2014 or 2015, okay. something like that. It might okay. be a little bit older than that, but really fairly recently. And that's just unique in itself, to find a graphic novel yeah. that's been turned into a musical. That mm-hmm. is, yeah. I can't say I've ever... That
1: there's no Garfield the musical. 21?
2: Right, exactly, yeah. that won the Tony, yeah. right, for Best Musical. Right, yeah, there's peanuts and stuff. Right, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not <laughs> <little> quite, <laughs> yeah, not exactly the same. Yeah. That's true. Um, yeah, highly recommend Fun Home, though. Uh, mean... By Miriam Gerba, very interesting fiction book that doesn't feel like fiction. Um, I think it kind of blurs the line between fiction and nonfiction. Um, For Today I Am a Boy by Kim Fu is a fantastic book. It's very interesting. I haven't done enough research about Kim Fu. Um, I presume Kim Fu identifies as a female person, um, but this follows a trans person. So there's always some, you know, you always just kind of have to be conscious when the person who's writing about something is not of the Mm in-group. I'm always just very, just conscious. It doesn't mean it's bad, Mm -hmm. doesn't mean it's going to be wrong, but I just think it's always nice to have that in the back of your head. Um, Dryland by Sarah Jaffe, which I think we shelve here in the YA section, but it's very, like, could be an adult book. Very interesting about a swimmer, competitive swimmer in high school. I mean, it's just interesting different types of stories Mm -hmm. that queer people are kind of intermixed in. Um, And then two actual YA books that I love are Boy Meets Boy and Two Boys Kissing. They're very different books. Boy Meets Boy is very kind of fluffy. It's very skinny. It wouldn't take very long to read. And Two Boys Kissing is very um, emotional. It's very modern. I listened to it on audiobook, and it was probably not a good idea because people were seeing me cry in my car. (laughs) Um, But it's really good by David uh, Levithan, who's a very well-known YA
1: author. All right well thank you Sarah. For sure. We will be listing all of these books um, and authors in the show notes so if you feel like you heard something but you don't remember what it was called it will all be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Rachel did you want to talk about our book list? Yeah we also
0: have an adult fiction book list with titles from the LGBTQ plus uh, genre which I think I mentioned really early on in the podcast so you can find that on the website as well as the library itself. It includes a few of the titles that we've talked about here today. Mm
1: -hmm. All right. Um, And then before we go, I just wanted to mention we have a summer reading challenge coming up here at the Oak Creek Library. So if you're in the area and you like to read, you can get rewarded for reading this summer. Um, So it takes place June 10th through August 10th. It is open to all ages from children through adults. There's no age cap. Um, in any way and if you read 10 hours over the summer and keep track of your reading you can come to the library and receive a prize for reading um, and a lot of a lot of the prizes are for um, coupons for local communities and businesses in the oak creek and milwaukee area so mm-hmm. you can really get a lot of benefits from just keeping track of your reading um, so you can go to our website oak slash src which will also be in the show notes Um, And there you can register, you can download a reading log, and you can look at our events calendar. So if you like reading, go ahead and sign up and you can get rewards for reading for the summer.
2: And I could even do 10 hours. 10 hours is a really attainable goal. Anybody out there can do Mm -hmm. 10 hours over the summer.
1: Between June 10th and August 10th. Yes.
2: Yep. You got this. Read whatever you want and we'll count it.
1: (laughs) Right. So thank you so much, Sarah, for coming thank
2: you yes thank you it was a lot of fun
1: yeah um, and if you liked the podcast or you want to listen to more remember to rate, review and subscribe and you can look at the show notes to see um, all of the books we've talked about today and documentary I will also include that um, and next month we're going to be talking about happiness which is going to be an interesting discussion and I believe Sarah you'll be I joining so. us again I think so yes yeah. yeah and we will also have another special guest and yes and i will leave it a surprise for you <laughs> <laughs> um And you can always uh, talk to us, let us know what you think using the hashtag NotYourMothersLibrary. Thanks for listening. Happy reading. Bye. Bye.